What's up and welcome to the Very Best Self Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Brown. Tune in each week as I have candid conversations with inspiring humans, including athletes, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and anyone out there making waves. Get ready to leave your comfort zone behind, step into your power, and live a more purpose-driven life. I am so happy that you're here. Now let's do this. Welcome back. Today's episode is a good one. We have Dr. Kelly Vincent on the podcast. She is at Dr. Kelly Vincent on Instagram as well. You're going to want to follow her. Um, she's a licensed psychologist and she specializes in therapy for learning how to cope through tough times and how to grow self-empowerment from that experience. OMG, yes, that sounds like something I feel like we all probably need to some degree. Um, so today's episode is really, really neat. Actually, we're going to dive into what I think is really cool, which is the nervous system. So she's going to talk about the sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, and how we oscillate between the two of those. And when we spend too much time on one side of that fence, it can have a negative, you know, reaction to the way that we show up in our lives. And so how to show up differently, uh, and make sure that we're oscillating between those two nervous systems. Um, this episode is going to talk about how to feel a little bit less anxious, uh, which, uh, hello, I feel like we all need a dose of that from time to time as well. Um, we talk about our relationship with ourselves, how to build a lasting bond with yourself, which uh, I don't know if that sounds like a little bit corny, but listen it's wildly important to make sure that we are checking in with how we treat ourselves, how we talk to ourselves, how we, you know, just that relationship and that bond that we have with, you know, ourselves. So without further ado, we will get all the way into this episode. I think you're going to like this one a lot. I am biased, of course, but, uh, Anyways, let's do it, y'all. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, you guys. So today is an exciting episode. I have Dr. Kelly on. She is a licensed psych... I'm not even going to redo it. Licensed psychologist is what <laughs> yeah. she is. And she is here. And I'm super pumped to have you on today. Thank you for having me. That's like That was like a tongue twister. Like, try and say that five times fast, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I've so been there. Yeah. Um, so thanks so much for being on. Um, your therapy really focuses a lot on learning how to cope through tough times and how to grow self-empowerment uh, from that experience. So that's a lot of what we're going to dive into today. Um, and I'm just really excited. I think a lot of people for whatever reason, like therapy can be like a really scary thing. Um, and I think there's also a big idea around we should only go to therapy when our life is in crisis, <laughs> but it's probably something we should be going to all the time. Uh, not when things are in crisis or bad or, you know, whatever. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? I guess that's where we'll kick this yeah. off. Yeah. And I'll first say, I mean, I'm biased. I'm a therapist. So yes, I would agree. Um, but yes, usually clients come in because they are in some sort of crisis or some sort of experience has happened that, you know, is become super overwhelming and um, symptoms increase, et cetera. But um, yeah, it's just like our physical health, right? Like we, we do different things for our physical health as it relates to moving our bodies or the things that we eat or whatnot. The same thing should be true for our mind and our hearts. Um, so there's, you know, therapy can, yes, be very, um, focused on something that is specifically happening, or it can just be for building insight, building awareness, 
um, understanding about yourself, understanding why you do the things that you do, right? So it can give more of a context of present day behaviors or um, things that you've always struggled with and you just don't know why. Um, it can, yeah, provide just a lot of insight, which can be super helpful. Um, and coping, of course, right? Learning how to manage our emotions or regulate our emotions or understand our emotions. Um, we don't get taught that. We do, I guess, in like kindergarten, they say, you know, they talk about feelings and stuff, but then it gets just dropped off. And then, you know, there's a lot of sort of like, just we're expected to know when hard things come along of how to deal with it. Um, but really it's, it's not talked about as much as it should or hasn't been historically. I think it's getting better though. I think Instagram actually has helped that. I totally agree. I think it is on the uptick. I think it is getting better. Um, it's not such like a taboo thing to say that you go to therapy or to go to therapy. I also think it's like, it's a situation or a matter of like, you don't know what you don't know. You know, so, and that sounds silly, but it's, it is so true. Like you don't know what you don't know. So it gives you insight into how you act and how you react to different, you know, scenarios in your life. And I mean, I guess this is kind of going off on a small tangent, but I remember, um, and it reminds me of a conversation I also had with my sister today. Okay. Uh, so I started going to therapy myself when I felt like, things were actually pretty good overall in my life. Uh, but something people say all the time for any of my listeners out there who are single, who do not want to be single, I, my sister and I were talking about it today, which was, I remember when I was single, people would always say like, oh, if you really want a relationship, just focus on you, just focus on you, just focus on you. And I remember feeling like, well, like how, like that sounds insane. Like, okay, so I need to journal. I need to meditate. I got to do all these things. I got to quote unquote, focus on me. And my God, that felt so incredibly overwhelming. I was like, does that mean I don't date anymore? Does that mean that like, I don't know how to navigate what focusing on me actually means? Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, for me, a big, a big way that I did quote unquote focus on me was I started going to therapy and it was, it was a thing where I was just like, okay, I did really learn what I didn't know about myself. Why you get to the root cause of things, like why you react certain ways. And, you know, another thing I was talking to my sister about today is like the definite, like Albert Einstein's definition of insanity, right? It's like, you yeah. just do the, the same thing over and over and over again in your life and you expect different results. Like you're going to go insane. Like yeah. life yeah. doesn't well, work that way. There's also neuroscience behind how we get into these habitual patterns where sort of that neuroplasticity is very ingrained in responding a certain way or thinking a certain way. And it's almost like picture just a very well-defined road. Um, that you just keep going down and then it eventually just kind of becomes a slippery slope and you just kind of slide down that. And with therapy, it starts to introduce a new road, a new path, carving out a new way of thinking, a new way of doing. Um, and then eventually you can start changing those habits, those patterns, those behaviors. Um, but it, yeah, a lot of it is very subconscious, unconscious, whatever you want to say, um, as it relates to kind of how you function. Um, so yeah, it can be very enlightening, uh, as it relates to who you are and the roots of things. And yeah, it can be, it can be fun to kind of explore and make connections. I like that. Yeah. It can be fun. Like, why does it have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be this like giant, like opening up Pandora's box. Like, I mean, eventually you kind of get to those places, I think, but, but it can be fun to like learn more about yourself and like you can do get to those places that might be scary or uncomfortable. Like, 
over time. It's not like it's an all at once thing. And I think a lot of people shy away from therapy too, thinking the first session is going to be like, like a word vomit of like every single negative thing that's ever happened to you. And like, you know, it's not like that. I wouldn't do that to someone. That, that, that's too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely gradual and builds on each other. And hopefully the, the therapist you're working with, you feel really safe and really comfortable um, and you kind of get there together. Uh, so yeah, it's a process. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you also focus a lot on, you know, self-awareness. Uh, how do we become more self-aware, which is, it's hard. Cause like, it's like, you don't realize the habits that you have sometimes that might be, you know, negatively impacting those around you. So how do we become more self-aware of like what the things that we're doing that are kind of our own blind, blind spots, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and not again, not to just really push therapy out there, but therapy, that's one of the biggest pieces of therapy is building that awareness of, of yourself and, and of your tendencies, like we've been talking about. Um, so, and having somebody sort of reflect back to you of what they may be noticing or seeing or um, opening up sort of that curiosity of, oh, I wonder what that means. Or I always say in my sessions, um, hypothesize, you know, we, we hypothesize a lot of like, oh, I wonder where that root is or... Um, so yes, therapy can be part of that. The other way to become more self-aware. Um, so I come from a very sort of mind body focused approach, um, and lens. And I think, um, something to kind of like a low hanging fruit of how to start to become more aware is just checking in with yourself. And I know that sounds kind of like, you know, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, literally checking in with what is happening in your body. So as you're moving through your day and you notice kind of an increase in emotion or, or a frustration or anger or something like that taking inventory of what, what's coming up for you, right? Are you feeling it in your chest? Are you feeling it in your belly? Um, just taking notice of how the body is responding throughout the day can help kind of build that insight as it relates to triggers or um, something that just doesn't settle well. Um, and then how your body responds to it. The other piece too, I, I'm such a nerd about is um, nervous system and all things nervous system. So nervous system regulation and things like that. And I usually help my clients start to become more attuned of that somatic awareness of what the nervous system is doing. Um, So usually when we get triggered in some sort of way, that nervous system is activated, some sort of sensation starts to happen in the body and the mind. Um, And when we become more aware of that, that can then kind of lead to more cognitive awareness as to kind of the why. Um, But I think that can be kind of an initial start is just being aware of just the the physical body and getting more embodied as it relates to, to your experience um, when you're with, you know, with people or in social settings or whatever it may be. Um, But yeah, I I think other ways, like you said earlier, like journaling, I think that can bring a lot of self-awareness being vulnerable with people that you love to kind of, you know, hear their perspective of something maybe that you're going through and kind of hear how they maybe view you or see you. That can be very helpful. And just being open to kind of hearing maybe things that you don't want to hear um, as well. That can kind of help build self-awareness. So it's, yeah, it kind of depends on the person um, and what they're kind of exploring or, or wanting as it relates to, to what they want to know about themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's tough. Like opening up yourself to be being vulnerable to, you know, what you said, sometimes things you don't want to hear about, you know, asking friends about maybe your, your blind spots. And that's, you know, I think that's a great thing for people who aren't ready to do therapy yet, or they think they're not ready. I think you're probably always ready at some point, but, uh, to some degree anyway. Um, but you know, people who feel like they can't 
figure that out for their lives right now, for whatever reason, uh, that's, you know, a great place to start is to use your, you know, trusted, trusted friends or family members as, you know, a mirror back and ask them, you know, what is it that you think I could be better at? Or are there blind spots that you think I have? And then knowing that you have to step into kind of a frame of mind where you're willing and able to receive the Mm -hmm. feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also say in addition to that, if that doesn't feel super comfortable, it's just this idea of getting curious, getting curious as it relates to if something, some interaction happens with the partner or with a, with a friend or family member and, and, and you feel the feels right there, there's something happening. It's just getting curious, like, Oh, like what, what is this? Like maybe naming the feeling, um, trying to kind of understand maybe what it's rooted in. So that idea of getting curious, um, can be really helpful too. If you're just kind of doing that inner work on your own, um, but then that that getting curious, say, if you're working with therapists only amplifies, right? Because they can kind of help guide and navigate with you to try to understand because it can feel very jumbled in your mind. Even myself as a therapist, I feel jumbled too, right? Sometimes, you know, I need my own therapist to help kind of work it out and tease it out. Um, but yeah, I think getting curious in general can be um, super beneficial. Um, yeah. And just asking kind of questions like, you know, what's going on? What's happening with me? That kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's it's super important to to be curious, and I think you know, just on a personal note, I feel like there was a certain time, really, in my twenties, where I was just like, I don't know, you you, I keep going back to this definition of of insanity, but it's like if the same things keep showing up in your life, and the same circumstances, and the same types of people, and I'm also on a kick of like singleness right now, even though I'm in a relationship, but just talking about it, um, yeah. I think like if the same type of partner continues to show up over and over again. And let's just say they're a, you know, a fuck boy, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, they're whatever they are, but the same kind of partner keeps showing up and it's just not working for you. Like, I feel like there's a certain time where, you know, that curiosity comes in where you ask yourself, okay, like instead of continuing to point the finger out all the time and say it's this person's fault or their fault or everyone else's fault. I feel like there's a certain point where you have to turn that finger around and ask yourself, well, like, what can I do differently? How can I be better? How can I, you know, process like, what am, what am I doing? What are my actions? What are my behaviors? What are my learned, you know, ways of thinking that are causing this situation to occur over and over again, or these people to show up over and over again? Totally. Yeah. And and also too, I would add, and this might be a little bit more kind of next level, but like the why, right? Like sort of getting under, and this is more like a a therapy sort of conversation, but like attachment styles, right? Like what was your attachment style to your parents or to your, your dad and your mom, right? Like those all play a role into kind of the, the why of what we do, especially in relationships. Um, so yeah, if you can get curious about sort of like, why am I continuing to be attracted to, or why am I attracting this same sort of type of person and same sort of type of um, cycle. What what is it about that that you know I'm playing a role in? Um, and yeah, that can lead to a lot of clarity. Um, right. Sometimes when when we kind of look at that a little bit more deeply. Yeah, I read the book Attached. That should, that yes. book changed my life. <laughs> yeah, that one is so good. It's super tangible. Um, if you, especially if you've never heard of attachment styles, it's yeah, it's not clinical. Yeah. Be very, very relatable. I read that book and it changed my life. Like it changed my life. I I found my boyfriend like within a year, within like six months or something like that. But the thing, the weird thing was like for me when I read that book, like I remember I think I dated like two people after I read that book and both of those people it didn't work out with. But I remember feeling so much better and so confident because 
with both of the people, it didn't work out and that's okay. But with those two people, I remember I was like, oh, something's different. I knew I was sitting across the table from someone who was ready to be both of those people. They were ready to be in a committed relationship and they were like kind and giving and and they were just like good people. And like, I don't have anything bad to say. Um, and for the most part, (laughs) but like, I knew I was sitting across the table from people who were ready for committed relationships. Whereas prior, I kept dating people who were not ready for a relationship. And what I learned through reading that book was that I actually myself, even Mm -hmm. though I tried to convince myself that I was ready at the time for a relationship, I wasn't, I had healing Mm -hmm. I needed to go through and growth Mm -hmm. that I needed to, to find, uh, before, before that. But, oh yeah. Yes. I mean, I think attachment styles. Yes. If you're, if you're single and it's been a struggle and you're kind of wondering why, I think that can be such a helpful place to start of just that reflection, just that curiosity about yourself. Um, yeah. So the book is attached once again for anybody who was listening, who was like, wait, what was that book? I missed that moment. (laughs) Um, So I want to dive into what you said you nerd out on, which is the nervous system, right? So I read something on your Instagram, I think it was, or maybe it was on your website. Um, You're not lazy, you're exhausted. And I was like, oh, okay. Because I beat myself up a lot of times for being like, quote unquote, lazy and not getting shit done and then be like... And then I feel like, it, and then it's like this double-edged sword. And then I feel it's just like it spirals out of control of just feeling like shit about myself when I can't get shit done. So I would yeah. love to hear your take on this. Yeah. And I can't even remember what I posted in what context, but I mean, it, it, yes, it's, it's true because I think we, we start to internalize as if there's something wrong with us or whatnot, or yeah, you know, we label ourselves as lazy when in reality, our nervous system is just so overactivated for so long. So, and I won't get too like nerdy and and bio, but um, essentially with the nervous system, it's not meant to be always stuck on. So we have, so we have the the autonomic nervous system, which which essentially is like automatic, right? It's just, it it functions automatically without us even kind of knowing about it. So there's two branches just to kind of just do top level, two branches, the sympathetic nervous system, which is that fight flight. And then there's the parasympathetic nervous system, which is that rest, digest. So that fight flight, that's anytime you are triggered um, emotionally or literally like a lion is chasing you, that system will turn on and mobilize your energy to make sure that you're ready and prepared for that, for that threat of any kind, right? The opposite or sort of the, 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 yeah, the opposite of the sympathetic is that parasympathetic and that's the rest and digest. So that's when we're, you know, just chilling after we've, we've eaten a big meal or maybe, um, just kind of being very connected with loved ones. We're just, we're calm, we're grounded, we're, we're just really feeling connected to ourselves and maybe others. Um, the idea of the, of the autonomic nervous system is that it needs to be flexible and resilient, meaning it oscillates between those two states throughout our day. So one example I always give is like, say you're driving and all of a sudden the car in front of you slams on their brakes. You need that sympathetic nervous system energy and mobilization to get you to be like, oh my gosh, I need to slam on my brakes. And then, and then the threat is over. It's gone. Your, your system kind of recalibrates and you're driving along. And all of a sudden you hear your favorite song that produces really good memories. Then you fall into like a parasympathetic state. So the, the idea of it going back and forth is actually very normal. And that's how our system is supposed to work. However, um, so many of us tend to stay stuck on so that hyper aroused state, so that sympathetic sort of nervous energy, and that's where the anxiety, hypervigilance, irritability, inability to rest, just where you're just on, you know, that like um, tired but wired feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is because our brain is perceiving threats left and right, and it, it can't differentiate between a real and a perceived. 
right? So an emotional threat, like say like a fear of failure, that that triggers the system to do its thing. Um, so essentially like think about how much you're, you're probably being activated all day if you don't have the skill set to kind of recalibrate yourself. Um, so yeah, it, it, it can be the, the whole sort of, you know, you're not, you're not lazy, you're exhausted. One hypothesis is that the nervous system just isn't, isn't, doesn't have any space to, to recalibrate, to, um, reground itself because there's just this, this high intensity of maybe like achieving or doing or thinking or whatever. There's just a lack of stillness to kind of get back to that calmer state. Um, so that's just one idea, um, as it relates to kind of what may be happening. So it's not good to hang out in the sympathetic no. all day. And if you are, then we need to, you need, we need, we need to what? We need to take an overhaul of like what we're doing, how we're spending our days. Uh, oh, yeah. That's one idea. Try to yeah. Eliminate I mean, the stressful things, which is easier yeah. said than done. Right. So in life comes with stressors, right? And, and we want that sympathetic nerve. We want that um, part of us to still be activated. So we need like a little anxiety. We need a little stress because it keeps us alert and aware, but we don't need it all of the time. So when we don't need it, we need to know how to relax and rest. Um, so it, it's really, I think, more about um, becoming more aware, right? Again, getting curious about you and how you're functioning throughout your day. If you're in that hyper aroused state, there's also a hypo aroused where you're just like depleted, uh, flat, like can't move, kind of like a depressed sort of like blah state. So that can happen too. Um, but if you're more in that hyper aroused, it's just about being aware of that functioning or that level of functioning. Um, and then working to kind of build in coping, working to kind of manage your, your, your day as it relates to stressors, how to maybe balance more, um, maybe stepping away from the computer and taking a breath, um, instead of working until midnight or whatever. So it's really about getting, getting in tuned with what is happening and then how can you kind of adjust and and just take a nap too. Yeah, totally. I'm a big napper over here. Definitely. Yeah. Whatever sort of allows that space for genuine rest um, is, is so good. And people think sometimes that like, Oh, I'm laying on the couch, but yet they're scrolling or they're mindlessly watching TV that there's still input and your senses are still becoming overwhelmed. Your mind is still going, going, going. Um, so that's not true rest. That's very, what they would call like more artificial ways to regulate your nervous system. And it's not helpful. That's that's a, just to go on a side tangent, but that's a lot of people will say like, Oh, you know, exercise is meditation for me. And I'm like, no, it's not. Those are two separate things. Like your brain is still wiring, moving. Like you're still thinking about things. You're you're viewing what's happening in the class or what you're focusing on the exercise or like whatever yeah. it is. Like you're you're. It's not the same. It's the people are like it's meditative. Like I think they they just confuse that word. Like yeah. There's something very, very, very different about what you tap into in meditation when you're you know your eyes are closed and you're focusing on witnessing your breath. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Definitely a different experience. I could see though the idea of being fully present when you're in a sort yeah. of that, like, like an exercise class or something yeah. like that. That can be in a way sort of meditative um, because you're just super aligned with what is happening versus the future or the past. Um, yeah, I yeah. tap into that for, I'm not a big rock climber, but I tap into that when I do rock climbing. Like if you yeah. go to like, it's like an indoor rock climbing gym. Like if you've ever done that, like you just like, the only thing you can focus on is like where your foot hand is going to go next and where your foot is going to go next. So like, I, I see that for sure. And I, I mean, it's obviously incredible for your mental health, like to work out as well. Um, but I feel like I always say that though, like it just, you can't substitute 
working out for meditating. Like you got to. Yeah. And I always think there's a difference between like true sort of stillness. Yeah. So true kind of like, like sort of silent meditations, guided meditations, you know, um, walking meditations, that's Mm -hmm. sort of walking is not still, but, but those stillness type of practices that can really sort of ignite that parasympathetic part of our nervous system and help ground and help kind of recalibrate, re-regulate kind of thing. But yes, I would say like the exercise type of meditation, it's still activating the system um, is is yes, it can be really beneficial. It's often very beneficial and and healthy and helpful. Um, But yes, we also need that those stillness practices that we, we just, don't have quote unquote time for. Um, but in reality, we like desperately need it as like a population and a human race of, of being able to kind of slow down, take a breath, turn off the news, you know, turn off the notifications that are beaming us from every which way. Um, and just sort of be versus do right. So being a being versus a human doing, I think is something I always say. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very powerful statement becoming reminding yourself that you are a human being, not a human doing. And I liked what you said just about recalibrating. I think, you know, it's like we have this negative self-talk where we're like, okay, I feel like shit about myself because I'm not getting shit done. And then you go into this wormhole of being like, like, you know, you had talked about you're lazy, you talk, you know, call yourself all kinds of names and feel bad. And then you're like, well, my God, if I'd stopped and took a nap right now, or if I stopped and did whatever right now, you know, it would just perpetuate that rabbit hole feeling that you're not worthy. You're not good enough. You're X, Y, or Z. But when really, if you stop and take that break, like you can actually, you know, recalibrate, yeah. reset the nervous system and then jump all the way in when you awaken from your slumber um, and then actually get and get shit, get shit done mode. And it might be a little bit easier. Yeah. And think about how much energy that inner dialogue is actually taking. Yes, it feels like it's just on autopilot, but there's so much energy being being like given to that process. So that again is activating your nervous system. Thoughts can activate the the sympathetic part of our nervous system. So it's it's almost like depleting you a million times more just because you're having that that thought process and that that um, that inner critic just go wild. So yeah, taking a nap, taking a nap, taking a step back, um, taking a breath, doing something different. Yes, that recalibration, whatever that looks like for you, is is actually super key because then it does give you more energy. And yeah. more clarity, right? You're you're more of that prefrontal part of your uh, brain, that thinking brain, that rational brain can come online. Because when we're in fight flight mode, that shit's offline. That, I love when she's know. online. I'm like, oh yes, yes we're in the zone. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. You feel more aligned. You feel you more yourself. But when when it's offline, it's it's the the emotional part of our brain. That limbic system is just taken over, um, and it's just kind of like we're shooting from the hip, left and right, and it, it's often not super effective. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so this CBT triangle, mm-hmm. can we talk about that? It's a sure. way for you to think and feel less anxious. Yes. Yes. So see, for those of you that are unfamiliar, CBT is stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's a therapeutic modality that a lot of therapists use um, in therapy. Um, it's an evidence-based treatment, if you will. Um, and the whole kind of concept, I mean, there's lots of lots to it, but just sort of to kind of dumb it down a bit. It's this idea that our thoughts create our feelings and then our feelings create our behaviors. And it's this triangle where the thoughts are at the top. And then as we think something, so like, I'm so stupid, most likely you're going to feel shameful, sad, maybe anxious. And then it's maybe going to make you say, say you're saying I'm so stupid about like a work project or something. 
it might make you avoid that project. It might make you want to quit your job. Um, and then you kind of just go in this like cycle around and around. So with anxiety, um, in particular, a lot of anxious experiences come with anxious thoughts. Um, and so if we're constantly sort of focusing on those anxious thoughts, it's just going to create sort of a just spiral effect of really intense, big feelings, which then creates a, you know, a lot of behaviors that aren't as helpful. Usually avoidance is a big one in, in anxiety. So if we start to kind of notice what is going through our mind, and this can be very hard because as we all know, we are constantly thinking <laughs> we there's that constant chatter that's going on in our mind and it can happen within like milliseconds. So if we just, again, take a breath, take it, take, you know, slow down. If there's something triggering happening, whatever that triggering moment is, you can ask yourself, what is going through my mind right now? Like what is ha- like, what is the anxiety saying to me? And then as you kind of can sort of delineate what is actually being said, you can then sort of work to sort of challenge that. Okay. Is that really true? Or is this really helpful? Or should I pour my energy into these thoughts. Okay. What, what could I maybe think differently or how could I reframe that? What's more true? Um, so yeah, I like the triangle because it just gives awareness of how the spirals even take place, um, and how much it impacts. Like a thought can really, it does have a lot of power. Um, and sometimes they, they're not, you know, have a lot of power as well, right? Thoughts are just thoughts. We, we don't want to kind of make them, you know, as if they're just the holy grail of things, but, um, but being just more aware of that cycle is a big part of CBT. So I do a lot of uh, what they call thought records. And you can literally Google thought record CBT and, and it will come up. And it's these columns where you can kind of work through these, these anxious thoughts and work to kind of understand evidence for and evidence against and work to build um, a thought that's more true. And it can be really helpful to kind of like just detail it out because it's something that we never really do. We don't slow down enough to actually like really understand what's happening in our minds. But once you slow down again, that awareness increases. Um, and so then in the future, you're like, Ooh, there's an anxious thought. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to attach to it. I'm just going to, that's an anxious thought. Moving on. Disengage, disengage. Uh, yeah. Abort, abort. Um, so, so yeah, that's, yeah. Very quick version of, of CBT, but there's, there's a lot more to it, but. I love ideas that are, simple like that. I love when they're simple, you know, I mean, it's like we make it out to be so complicated, like feeling less anxious or, you know, getting out of our head or doing the things on our to-do list that we just can't seem to bring ourselves to do for whatever reason. We make it such a bigger deal, I think, or we don't really take the time to do that simple task of just kind of trace back to where the thought came from or why you can't do the thing or whatever it is, you know? Totally. Or yeah. just being aware that you're thinking, right? Just the, the awareness of the, the chatter happening, right? So I always liked it with clients. I always like to separate, like the anxiety is not you. You are not the anxiety. The anxiety is something you're experiencing. And I usually have clients name their anxiety. And I, I often not like to say their anxiety or the, I just say the anxiety because we don't want to make it like about us because it's not our identity. It's, it's, it's what we're experiencing. Plus it's part of our, you know, that biological wiring that we were talking about earlier, but yeah. So, so naming it can sometimes really help. So it's like, Oh, there's, there's miss fiery red again. I don't know. I made that up, but like you're able to kind of separate it out so that it can be, um, a little bit easier to kind of notice what that, what the anxiety is saying to you. Um, so that sometimes can be, be so you're like, that's the anxiety and this is me. Exactly. And yes. those and are two separate things or two separate, whatever, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, they really are. Because I mean, and we could go, we could go a whole another podcast as it relates to anxiety. But yeah. another thought or idea is that anxiety is there to kind of keep us safe. Not kind of, it's, it's there to keep us safe. It's just the very, um, yeah, it's it's like the the friend that's just always worried, or the mom that's you know you know reminding you all the things to be be sure to be careful about, right? Like it's 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 wanting to keep us safe, um, and it's well intentioned, but it's often not helpful. So again, we don't want to get rid of it like completely because it helps keep us alert and aware and alive in a lot of ways. Um, but we want to be able to be more in control. Us as our authentic self needs to be in control versus the the fear, right? Because anxiety essentially is fear. Um, so easier said than done. Yes, it takes work, um, but but it is possible to decrease the intensity and frequency and how much you experience it. Yes, there's there's light at the end of, end of the tunnel. Everyone, did you hear that? There's light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> it can get better, <laughs> yeah. um, which is important to focus on always. Um, so, what do you think is a fundamental building block to creating a lasting, powerful relationship with yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think it's the, again, I'm going to go back to it, but like the curiosity piece, like getting, getting to know yourself, um, in ways that maybe you didn't really know. So like, for instance, a lot of, um, work also that I do with clients is values work. So tapping into what do you value? (laughs) What's important to you? Um, and why, right? Because the, our values then sort of inform our actions of why we do the things that we do. So, right. If we value connection, then we're going to make friendships and relationships priorities in our life. So I think like building that relationship with yourself, it really, the key is understanding yourself in the, t- in that moment, right? Cause we, we grow and we change and we evolve as people for various reasons. Right. Um, so in, in sort of that, that time and space of your life now, it can be helpful to kind of just assess that, you know, every once in a while, like, who am I? What, what do I, what am I passionate about? What do I value? What do I believe? What's important to me? Um, what identities kind of make, make me, me, um, and those identities might change. So I think it's just about giving some space for yourself to just tap into those, those questions and try to understand them a little bit more deeply, um, and be open that it, it's sort of a a work in progress, right? Like it's an, it's an open tab that kind of will always sort of be there that you get to decide what, what changes and how you grow and how you evolve, um, and where certain areas of focus are for that period of time. Um, so yeah, and I think therapy, not again, not to (laughs) tell everyone to go to therapy, but that can be another way to like build that relationship with yourself and connecting to yourself, that authentic self, who you really are, um, outside of all the garbage that we hold, you know, in our bodies and our minds as it relates to traumas and experience, things like that, like push all that aside and kind of tap into that, um, that more deeper layered authentic self, I think can be so, so helpful. Um, it's not easy though. It's not easy. Yeah. Um, but it can be worth it for sure. Yeah, absolutely worth it. I mean, we never stop getting to know ourselves. We never stop learning, you know, about who we are and what we can do and what we can achieve and, you know, what we can work through and what we've been through and all of it. And just, you know, uncovering all those pieces and parts of ourselves. Um, But yeah, the more time we spend on it, I think long-term, the better we are for it. There's really just no substitute for taking the time to, to get to know yourself. Agreed. Yeah. And I definitely think reminding ourselves that there's no, it's not really about an end destination, right? It's not about like getting somewhere. It's just about sort of tapping into that moment and to that, you know, time in your life and, and just sort of um, connecting to whatever it is that's happening 
versus like, oh, like once I know myself, then I'll be happy. <laughs> um, right. You know, that often never works out. But um, but yeah, just kind of making it a priority, um, I think, for, for your entire life, I think can be yeah. more. Lifelong commitment to you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So I will just ask you one more question, which is what is the best piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> I, oh man, my poor younger self. She needs a hug. Um, <laughs> I would probably, I don't know what this is just coming to mind, but like take a breath, <laughs> just breathe. I mean, that's not very insightful, but um but yeah, like knowing that um, it can be hard because I think when we're younger, right, we're, you know, maybe we're ambitious, we're wanting certain things to happen, we're wanting to hit certain milestones, and it can be hard not to be maybe anxious about it or worried about it. But I think it's just this idea of it's going to be okay, right? As, as long as you're listening to yourself and tapping into to yourself and sort of um, checking in with yourself, whatever it is, building that relationship with yourself that you will navigate to where you need to go. Um, it can feel confusing and um, sort of bleak in, in that moment. Um, and that's okay because those experiences are getting you to that next, whatever it is that you're trying to get to, right? Um, so yeah, what, what else would I tell her? Uh, yeah, I would just want to give her a hug. No, just give her a hug. It's going to be okay. You're going to figure it out. The fact that, you know, you're even, yeah. I love it. Take a deep breath and here's a hug. Yeah. That's what I would tell her. That's what she needed. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. I love that answer. All right. Well, thank you so, so much uh, for being on today. I loved our conversation. I mean, there's like nothing better than just figuring out how to be more self-aware and to tap into how we can become better versions of ourselves. So, uh, and also I loved all of the, uh, talk around the nervous system and understanding that. So thank you for sharing all of that. Thank you for having me. All right. That is a wrap. You guys, I told you that this would be a good episode with Dr. Kelly. Um, just really insightful, right? About the way that we talk to ourselves and the relationship that we have with ourselves. And listen, I feel like one of the most important things to recognize is that the most important relationship that we will have in this lifetime is the one that we have with ourselves. The most long-term relationship that we will have in this lifetime is the one that we have with ourselves, right? So I think for that reason, of course we have to prioritize our relationship to self. Of course we have to prioritize the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we act. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's the plants are not going to just grow if we don't water them, if we don't give them sunshine, if we don't give them all the things that they need in order to succeed. And our minds and our bodies are really no different. You know, what is the equivalent to sunshine? What's the equivalent to water? What's the equivalent to success is like putting yourself in a good environment as well. All of that has to happen. You know, we can learn, we can learn a lot from plants. Um, and what they need to grow. And human beings are really not much different. We're, we're really not. We're not, we're not much different. Uh, so thinking about what you need in order to find a successful relationship with yourself, because I think that's something not only that we all want, but something that we all 
absolutely deserve as well. So uh, lastly, I think one of the really big takeaways for me was you're not lazy, you're exhausted. That was a mic drop moment for me. I was like, uh, what? I was like, oh, okay. Like sometimes you just have to like hit the reset button and say like, okay, cool. So like I can't get shit done right now and I am standing in my own way right now and I am going down a deep dark spiral of why I'm not good enough and why I'm not worthy. And like, who is that serving? Perhaps maybe it's best to just take a nap. And honestly, I was like, yeah. Because I mean, I know sometimes when I give my per- myself permission to kind of take a beat or take like a rest or just like take a little quick time out, I feel like I do wake up feeling better. I feel like I do, you know, after that, taking that little moment to like reset and recalibrate, I feel like I can jump all the way back in and actually find some success and cross some things off my to-do list, which in turn make me feel good about myself. Uh, So that was one of my big, big takeaways as well. You know, feeling less anxious, checking in with the nervous system. I loved the CBT triangle, recognizing our thoughts and how our thoughts become our feelings and our feelings become our actions, et cetera. Uh, So a lot of powerful stuff in this episode, you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. And like I said before, you can follow Dr. Kelly at Dr. Kelly Vincent on Instagram. You can also follow me at Victoria Brown. You can follow the pod handle at Very Best Self. And you know the drill. Five stars, subscribe, review, all of it. Share this episode with someone you love. Uh, That's a wrap for us today, guys. I'll see you next week.